We'll meet on the ancient televised battleground of Kitchen Coliseum. Whosever meal is best will claim the title of Iron Cook. Iron Cook, eh? I can't lose. I'm 30% iron. Welcome to the world of tomorrow. This is Back to the Futurama, your podcast voyage through one of the greatest TV shows Fox ever canceled. I'm Ben. And I'm Mike. And today we're talking about Season 3, Episode 22, 30% Iron Chef. You know, I found something in this, when I watched this episode again, and not to spoil grades, but I found out something about myself. Okay. I am a better cook than Bender. I, mean, I know I'm spoiling a lot of the episode right now. It's for, not for the, those it's that not have difficult. listened. Plus, we we already know it's already on record that Bender uh, makes the saltiest thing that Fry's ever tasted. We've already covered that in a previous episode. That's, that's true, and I have not made the Stacy. I have not made. <laughs> <laughs> I have not made the saltiest thing I've ever tasted, although it's close. Do tell. But I also have not eaten a big heaping bowl of salt. You can't you can't lead with that story about you making a really salty thing and then just leave it there. I want some details on this bad boy. Okay, so you know how some uh insert meal uh, insert meal kit delivery service here uh generally puts uh salt and pepper after pretty much every step? Uh-huh. Um uh, if you don't exactly know what you're doing and you're like, "Oh, put more salt in." Oh, put more salt in. I, I, it's, it wasn't lethal, <laughs> um, but it tells you like how much salt to put in. It says to taste every time it's to taste. I didn't realize they literally meant taste the dang thing. <laughs> I thought to taste was one of those, you know, like, like, a uh, 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 turn a phrase. Sure. Okay. So you made the like, saltiest. Like run down to the cherry patch. That's so, one. So you made the saltiest thing that you've ever tasted. No, I've had a saltier thing. Oh, okay. It, I was... We were celebrating my current wife. Wait. <laughs> no, I didn't... I said that wrong. My then-girlfriend, now-wife. There we go. Uh, her g- graduation from her undergrad school. And we were at a restaurant in uh, Lynchburg, Virginia. Okay. And my aunt ordered a steak and she had to give it to me because it was just too salty. That's actually a much sadder story than I anticipated. <laughs> yeah. Huh. It was not a bad steak, but it was on the salty side. Okay. Um, but we're not talking about any of that today because that's not even in this episode. I, <laughs> I, I know, but it's tangentially related. And we're also in the intro part where we just kind of goof around for about 45 minutes until we get to the actual episode parts. And that means it's time for Graves. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a good episode this week of Back to the Futurama. I give it a, it's a B. Of our podcast? Oh. <laughs> I give it an F so okay. far. If, it, if that's where it ends, um, three minutes into the episode, and then we go to grades after you talking about a particularly salty steak. Um, this podcast became a salty steak podcast so quickly. 
I've heard of some real like specific podcasts, but L- like one about a f- uh, television show that was canceled years ago. But discussing how salty a particular steak is at a particular restaurant across the country that that's I have fair. never been to. I, okay, yeah. I think that's a little bit much for even me. That is fair. What if we every week... Okay, I'm going to pitch you on this podcast. Okay. Every week we get one steak from a restaurant somewhere in the world. I mean, we're not... We don't have a ton of money, so probably around the Portland area. And then we discuss the merits of that steak. I think this is a great idea if we can get some funding for this, because then we have a reason to spend other people's money on steak. Tweet at Back to Futurama (laughs) so we can get this steak podcast off the ground. Just send us money for steak and... That's the name of the podcast. Money for steak. Money for steak. All right. Or, or, the stakes are high. I don't know why they would be high, though. It is Oregon. Well, that... (laughs) (laughs) Money for stakes sounds like one of those uh, cash for gold commercials. Yeah, it kind of does. I love it. I love it very much. (laughs) Gold for stakes. Ooh, wait. There's something there. Raise the stakes? Well, hmm raisin the steaks no and it's steaks with raisins on it because i'm a monster well i'm pretty sure a1 (laughs) has raisins in it like like ground up raisin wait does it i'm pretty sure i'm now now as i say that i'm not nearly as sure as i thought i was welcome to ben's google's that corner (laughs) looking up a1 ingredients There's a whole Wired article about what's inside A1 steak sauce. Well, click into that article. Tomatoes. Okay. Raisin paste. It's yes. number two. What is up? I knew it. <laughs> I knew a thing. Everybody, stop the podcast. I, Mike, from Back to the Future, I'm a new something. I did it. I finally did it, and I'm free of this coil. I'm just surprised to find out that raisins are an, an ingredient in a1 steak sauce i knew a thing i'm just i can't get over how proud i am about knowing that raisin paste is in a1 and i didn't even know it was paste i i imagined it was ground up in some way but i didn't know the rest of the ingredients just for the record distilled vinegar corn syrup salt crushed orange puree dried garlic and onion spices and herbs caramel color and xanthan gum i'm gonna back up for just a minute did you say crushed orange pu- orange puree crushed orange puree that is wild to me. And yet raisins was just normal. Yeah. No, okay. It's got, you got that like that savory raisin taste. How about we talked about... <laughs> We're still tangentially to the episode. How about we talk about 30% Iron Chef, the thing that we all are here to talk about today. Although, I don't know, man. I'm considering just calling it good and just talking about steak sauce the rest of the episode because I am learning some things here. The podcast within a podcast. It's, I mean, yeah. We've gone on a lot of tangents. This is the first time I've learned anything from it. (laughs) That's good. Uh, We could call this one, It's A1 More. So, so we've got raise the stakes and that's a one more all right then i like so, how we're building out a food podcast empire we 
start out this episode uh, with the with Good Morning Earth, a television program featuring Linda and Morbo. Uh, they welcome in Elzar. And Elzar is there to cook, uh, to whip up a nice, unnameable horror from beyond with mango chutney. Morbo opens the lid and some kind of death ray kind of comes out of it, which shows him his uh, head skeleton, uh, also known as a skull. His head skeleton. Got it. Hey, it might be one of those episodes, so just let's... let's, you've, let's used, you've used up all of your good podcasting on talking about A1 Steak That's sauce. true. We should hit the shirt pants alarm right now. Yeah, Bender is, uh, I believe, watching yeah, this it, because he's he's he wants to cook a nice brunch for everybody. Yeah, uh, for his best friends, uh, he takes a chicken and kind of I don't know puts it in his mouth, and then you hear a lot of whirring, and then out comes the skeleton of the chicken, which he brushes off and then starts to sear in a pan. Head skeleton and everything. Head skeleton and everything, and Fry says. Uh, oh brunch um i better warn uh tell warn tell the others i know at this point this podcast is just a list of things ben tries to put into normal everyday conversations okay. but warn tell is is one of them for sure it's very good where i'm like oh i gotta go warn tell everybody else i i love it it's very good i think that one sort of i tried it and much like I'm already in my pajamas didn't really stick. Yeah. So it it hasn't really entered the lexicon fully, but I want you to know there was an attempt. Well, you you did a better job with that than it's toe-tappingly tragic. <laughs> Which again, I did not appreciate that at the time. Yeah, Bender is cooking and speaking of the saltiest thing that anyone's ever tasted. Hello. He has two things of not Morton's salt, mind you, Mortron's salt. Hey, there you go. And he rips open a container of it and dumps the whole thing onto this chicken skeleton and then rips open the other one and just kind of puts a little dash of it. A little dash. Mm-hmm. Just don't want to put too much. And so apparently for brunch, it's salted chicken skeleton. Uh, the rest of the crew, while Fry is rushing to warn them, is looking at a perfect scale model of the universe's biggest bottle. With a spaceship inside. To stop it from being boring. Mm-hmm. The professor made it. Uh, Zoidberg really, really wants to touch it. And the professor says, no, don't touch it. Look with your eyes, not with your claws. That's good advice. It's hard to look with claws. It's true. So yeah, this is sort of the B plot of the episode is just Zoidberg being really obsessed with this bottle. There's so many great things that comes out of this. Oh boy, I'm so, I'm looking very forward to it. I love this B plot. Oh, it's so this very is- good. Maybe one of the uh, the the only episodes where I think I prefer the B plot, but we will get to that. Yeah, we're putting a pin in it right now. Um, Fry comes in to warn everybody about the brunch, um, and Bender will be crushed if they don't eat it. And pr- the professor immediately reacts, "Oh God, my tract!" <laughs> Leela's suggestion is to get to the ship and head to the Arctic to hide under ice sheets for a couple of weeks. But as they are going to, running to the ship, they are stopped by Bender, who is menacingly stirring. Bender comes in and he's like fleeing somewhere. And, and like menacingly stirring a bowl of right. green goo. And Fry's like, with you blocking the only escape route, don't be silly. <laughs> and I love the awkward, like, aggressiveness of this scene where it's like everybody knows what's going on. Yeah. But 
not saying it. I think there Bender subconsciously knows it, but not super consciously knows it. If that makes sense, because events that are going to happen. It's true. I mean, he's he thinks that his friends actually like the food. So, well, we for now. For, dun dun dun. Be prepared for the M Night Shyamalan plot twist of the century. <laughs> it's somehow it happens in the first three minutes of the episode. Um, as Bender is shepherding everyone out and telling Leela to stop crying, uh, Zoidberg stays behind and handles the glass bottle with his claws, <laughs> and also uh, sticks his his uh, face tentacle in there, uh, kind of like knocking off like a what looks to be some kind of like fuel tank or something. Yeah, and then just snips the whole bottle in half. Oh, it's so very good. Um, and the- he's like, <laughs> "Sorry, I know you love this line. I'll give this one to you." Oh no, Professor will hit me. But if Zoidberg fixes it, then perhaps gifts. <laughs> I love so much. Like I, I literally laughed out loud when that line came back up. I love it so very much. Uh, meanwhile, back in the A plot. Uh, there is one last oh, okay. uh, physical gag that shows up where he's trying to glue it back together. Uh, he accidentally squirts all the glue onto oh, yeah. himself and yeah. then just <laughs> rolls like through a ton of scientific gear, including a sign that says, Zoidberg, don't touch. Look, the professor knows his audience, man. Like read, read the room and then put up signs telling the room how they're wrong and should feel bad about themselves. I, I feel like if he... He comedy took, 101 he took the time to put the sign up uh-huh. to say don't touch he did not take the time to put things away <laughs> i mean i guess that's why he they call him a mad scientist yeah but i mean it's his laboratory he shouldn't have to put away his own stuff if, like but he should probably get zoiberg out of the laboratory then as everyone else is leaving it like if I were in, if I was in a like a, a a game room of some kind and everyone was leaving and then one person that I'd literally told not to do something in the room I would be getting that person out of the room as well I suppose and in this situation you've already put up a sign telling them to not touch things so yeah I guess that makes sense Yeah get them out of the room I I still won't forgive you for what you did to that game Ben What did I do I can't believe you've forgotten. I'm so disappointed. I drank till I forgot, obviously. <laughs> Look, writing butts on a Cards Against Humanity card isn't destroying anything. That's not what you did, and you know it. <laughs> um, now you're just insulting me. That's what I do on a weekly basis. And scene. Um, that was a wonderful radio drama that we we did there, so I, I want to congratulate you on your performance. Grades F. Anyways. Um, <laughs> Oh, with the tactical grades, the tactical F there. Well done. Back in the A plot, Bender has (laughs) cooked everybody food based on what he knows about them. For example, because Amy is cute, he cooked her a pony. (laughs) So on her plate is like... (laughs) It's literally just like the hoof and then a little bit of the leg. Like, that's it. It still has... The, the horseshoe, the horseshoe oh, yeah. on it uh-huh so so wonderful i mean horrible but wonderful leela's literally has two eyeballs on it it's like a green <laughs> mass with like eyeballs i think somebody has a brain um like it's 
it's there's some stuff. It's pretty messed up. Um, everyone is disgusted by it, pr- including cool. me <laughs> and me. Um, the professor had a wormhole installed in the table for this very reason, and he dumps his food in there. Amy asks where it, where the other end comes out, and it turns out it comes out right above the wormhole, so it lands on his head. Now he's thinking with portals. He sure is. Because I I saw that and I was like, oh, I should play portal. I know. I had the same feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does he does clean his head by sticking his arm through the wormhole and then using his napkin to clean off his head. If you had portals, you'd be living this life all the time. Like, let's be honest. Dog, if I had portals, I'd put a portal... I put a portal in the wall next to my desk and then a portal into the refrigerator and grab a beer anytime I needed it. Uh-huh. Tell me you're not thinking with portals when you can get a beer at any time. Yeah, but the Simpsons did it. And in that episode, uh, Homer, instead of grabbing a beer, grabs a thing of ear medicine that is for some reason in an aluminum can just like a beer. So I'm a little wary about that. It's. It, it, I will give you this. Graining tangential, sure. <laughs> and knowing my my the pets that I have, there is a non-zero chance of things that are very bad that I do not want to get. So, I retracted. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, just just consider that. Like, I'm not saying it's a deal breaker, but you got to be prepared to pull some ear medicine out of the fridge. That's that's fair. I I feel like there should, if you're gonna do this portal gag with beer, you kind of have to have your own beer fridge. But you also don't have to. You have to put it somewhere other than right next to you, because then yeah. Because if you have your own beer fridge, why isn't it right next to you? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay, that's also a good point. Um, Yeah, you know, I think I'm finding some uh, some flaws in my thoughts here. While they're all trying to get rid of food, uh, Zoidberg walks in in a trench coat, a very lumpy trench coat, trying to cover all the things that he has accidentally glued to him. I just want to point out that I. I refer to it as his disaster. That is accurate. Um, and he walks in and he's like, casual, hello, it's me, Zoidberg, act naturally. <laughs> uh, and then the cuckoo yes. clock glued to him starts jab, like the, the uh, bird comes out and starts jabbing him in the face. <laughs> and Leela uses this opportunity uh, to dump all of her food into the house plant. This is like little palm tree. Uh, when Bender turns around and sees it, it's sick. And he notes that it only gets sick when he cooks brunch. How is that for a coincidence, professor, with your science? That is one I say a lot now where that's, I'm like, with your science. That's great. I, I really love. I think this is one of the best Zoidberg episodes. Oh, it's pretty good. I mean, it's up like, there. he's got a lot of good moments. And yeah. I mean, we're we're the the iceberg Zoidberg here. We're only it's the tip. We only got the tip of that iceberg. Yeah, we need to Zoidberg. go deeper. We need to go deeper. We need to the rest. We of need the, to zoid deeper. We need to zoid deeper. Absolutely. <laughs> um, Bender goes back into the kitchen, and he's literally now serving mop water oh, in God. glasses, and. As he's kind of coming in, he hear, overhears Fry saying that the food actually tastes better as vomit. 
And yeah, everybody is complaining about how bad the food is. And Bender overhears and he gets really sad. Again, going back to his, he totally has emotions, despite the fact that he says he never has emotions. Right. Because he is full on weeping and he drops the tray. And runs out. And runs out. And the mop water concoction burns a hole in the floor. Which raises some questions. Well, it, I mean, he puts the mop water on top of what seems to be... Sure, like, it looks sort of like a layered shot, almost. Yeah, and it, it looks like... It, and I'm assuming the bottom layer is acid based on the way it eats through the floor. Mm-hmm. Now, my question is... Okay. What exactly flavor profile is mop water going to add to acid that strong? I don't know. See? Well, I mean, you gotta you gotta layer the flavors here, you know. I mean, think about it. Like you, you there, there's really a you you layer things in a shot. That way, you get like you get maybe mm-hmm. passion fruit first, then maybe some cherry, mm-hmm. and then you are a cherry man. I am a cherry. Well, hold on, I went with passion fruit, <laughs> passion fruit, cherry, mango, possibly, and then it's all just got you know the liquor, whatever liquor you want in there, uh-huh. tequila, or rum, or whatever. It doesn't really matter. But you layer it so you get the different flavor. Oh, no. I, I know exactly what you're meaning. I'm just saying, what what is that flavor profile like? Burning for the acid. Mm-hmm. And then a nice uh, kicker on the way back. Right. And I'm sure it's going to be a shot that's in all the trendy nightclubs uh, that you're going to pay $14 for a shot soon because hipsters. Yeah. And you have to s- stand outside by a bouncer for 20 minutes because you... They've already hit the quota. You got you got to wait. And it's like, well, all right. I'll just stand out in the cold and the rain waiting for my opportunity to buy $14 shots. So Bender goes to his locker and he pulls out these pads of paper. Um, and he goes to the last one, which is a pre-made uh, piece of paper, like a form that says a plea for attention from Bender. And the check boxes on it say, I'm committing suicide. I'm getting a tattoo. And I'm running away. And he checks the I'm running away. And then he says, and I mean it. And this time I mean it. And then he checks the one that says, and this time I mean it. Mm-hmm. And then he packs up a little like hobo bindle. Uh-huh. And just leaves. Now, the thing that I realized in this episode, like I've never really taken the time to, to think about it. But everybody else spends the rest of the episode so busy with the Zoidberg B plot that nobody even mentions Bender's gone. That's true. No one, no one, no one seems to care until uh, the the dramatic conclusion of the two different plots together. Right. Yeah. Nobody says a thing about it. Nobody's like, "Where's Bender?" Nobody is upset about it. Like Bender just packs up as a hobo and leaves. That's true. And then everybody else is talking about freaking bottles and spaceships. I I I I agree. I often think, "Where is Bender?" What is he doing? What's his plan? Whenever Bender's not on screen, every other character should be saying, where's Bender? Well, hopefully Bender doesn't have to leave and go to his own planet. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking about graining tangential. So yeah, uh, Bender goes off as a hobo and he uh, decides to ask Elzar to teach him how to cook. Uh, Elzar immediately says, absolutely not. Um, Bender continues to try and convince him, but uh, Elzar says that you your antenna is in my crotch and I hate you. And he doesn't know how to cook. A- and Bender asks for the first thing again. And Elzar says, I hate you. I it, thought that was number two. It's moved up. He knocked it up a notch. Bam. And then when he says bam, he points at the door. 
<laughs> we get to go back to the Yay. B plot, man. I, I'm telling you, man, this B plot's so good. I like how we're actively like, let's go back to the B plot. Come on. Oh, yeah. And this is coming from Team Bender over here. Like, <laughs> I love Bender, but man, this B plot. It's, it's, it's my jam. Is so good. So uh, Zoidberg is busy trying to fix the bottle um, and the ship. And he just can't do it. And he's like, what would the robot do? Frame someone. And right then, Fry walks in and is like, what up? And then so when Fry is busy taking a shower, <laughs> singing Walking on Sunshine, which... As he does. Yeah, it comes, it comes back around a couple of times sure in does. the uh, uh, series, including in a particular episode in the future that will make us all cry. It certainly is a motif. Fry is busy singing and... Zoidberg comes in and replaces his normal white t-shirt with a white t-shirt that has a handwritten scrawl on it that says, I hate bottles. Then Zoidberg eats the original shirt. And let me tell you, there was a time in my life when I was about this close to making my own shirt that says, I hate (laughs) bottles. (laughs) Like, I had plans to do it and everything, and... And they fell through. Yeah, well, I mean, I was in like <laughs> the plans fell through. <laughs> I was in like high school at the time. Yeah. Like it was may, maybe right after high school. It was right. It was when it was still a newish episode. Sure. Um, and I chickened out because I was worried because I I didn't I was a loser who didn't sorry I was a cool kid. Yeah, who, you were a cool who, kid who who didn't drink because. Drinking is for adults 21 and over in this country of America. It's true. It's different um, in other places. But in all seriousness, I didn't drink and I was worried that people would think that I was like trying to make a statement about alcohol <laughs> or like that I preferred beer in cans or something because I was a nerd. I was that nerd who was just like, oh, they're going to think this is about this is about beer and I can't have that. So that's the story of how I didn't make an i hate bottles shirt but i was literally going to do this you were very close on the off chance that somebody (laughs) somewhere would see that shirt and be like futurama got it (laughs) i just love that you you planned it all out you're like no i can't do this because they might people might misconstrue people might think that i drink but i have opinions about drinking out of bottles and that i hate them (laughs) Yeah, man, I was a loser in high school. How how dare I have opinions on alcohol? <laughs> I just, I love the thought process. Clearly people will think it's oh, about yeah, alcohol. No, man, I Clearly. was not even joking. I was freaking terrified that if I wore this shirt, people would be like, you're not 21. Oh man. You were so worried about them thinking you underage drink, which you didn't. Which I didn't even do. And you weren't interested in. <laughs> but you were worried enough that they would think that you did. Uh-huh. Yep. That's the story. I just I, I <laughs> I've seen the face of God in the story. <laughs> it's wonderful. Back in the A plot. The boring, boring A plot. 
It certainly doesn't have shirts that say the, bottles. The comparatively boring A plot. Uh, Bender is full on hobo now. He's got some five o'clock rust going on. Sure. Uh, he's sitting on like some railroad tracks in a stockyard somewhere. Um, and he meets a couple of hobos. Uh, self-described. Mm-hmm. And uh, they... I don't even remember what they say now. I'm, well, they basically just ask him if they... If he... They they ask him if he wants to join them riding the space rails. And so, yeah, he does. And they're riding through space on this beam of light. Uh, and then they jump off right before a switching prism, which is, like, I think very clever because they're riding literal light rails and also you've got i mean both the science behind prisms and also sort of that pink floyd prism yeah. rainbow it, uh reference uh and it's a good vi- moon yeah and it's a good visual too um they are going to be jump when they're when they jump out they will be traveling near the speed of light so uh roll when you land mm-hmm. uh the other two gentlemen do roll and zoiberg just kind of lands head first Right. Did I say Zoidberg? I meant Bender. Yeah. Uh, yes. That's. Yep. You screwed that one up for sure. I sh- shirt pants situation over over here. Also, because it's gonna bother me, I need to I need to look up if those two hobos have names because we got two different people on Facebook who corrected us about the fact that apparently that guy has a name in the script that's what? never actually mentioned in the yeah. What What is it? Uh yeah, the name of the of that guy uh, is Steve Castle. Um, it was in the script of the episode, but it was never actually said on the show. So he does actually have a name. Um, and well, shout out, shout out to Sam and James, uh, who both contacted us through Facebook, uh, facebook.com forward slash Back to Futurama, for sending that our way because I had no idea. Thank you for for for. Correcting one only one of the things that we say, which there are many you can correct. Oh, there are so many. Um, I, th- I think the, the listeners are just like, uh, I can't correct everything. But this one's the most egregious this week because we say a lot of stuff. <laughs> the Infosphere, I'm looking at the characters in this episode. The Infosphere says that uh, one of the characters in this episode is Beethoven, mentioned in speech only. It's true. I mean, he is, but... I don't think he's a character. It's just more of a reference. Uh, the hobo's names are Gus and Dandy Jim. Good for them. Those are some good names. Mm-hmm. So see, I knew if we didn't get that right, we'd get more messages because we're bad at n- knowing names. I also don't hate getting messages. So no, it's true. Tweet send us, back to please, the future, please actually do send us messages. It's always a lot of fun. Um, but anyways, so the hobos, Gus and Dandy Jim, uh, they they land on a uh, planet. Yeah, that's what we were talking about. Yes, we sure were. They we, land- we went on a whole tirade that has definitely been cut from this oh, episode one, by now. So. 100%. Uh, they land on a planet full of uh, stereotypical hobos uh, called Bumbase Alpha, the biggest hobo planet of the quadrant. I've seen bigger. Oh, wait. I'm thinking of Eugene, Oregon, which like throw in shade at eugene oregon now i know you lived there for a while i lived there for two years um i've been there uh quite a bit um my girlfriend lived there for uh, a little while and um i don't know your thoughts on it being a hobo sector or hobo 
quadrant uh, or planet hobo jungle that's what they hobo call it. jungle it is a interesting place mm-hmm. it is a wonderful place that i did enjoy while i was there but it is definitely an interesting place i would not refer to it as a hobo jungle i would probably refer to it as a collection of uh uh crunchy granola that's fair, I would say. There is also an unfortunately large population of homeless people. That is true. Um, but I mean, honestly, I don't think it was any bigger than most any city I've been to. Right. And unfo- um, unfortunately, you know, it's not great up and down the West Coast for right that issue. So, so yeah, I don't know. But I mean, again, Matt Groening grew up in uh, um, Portland and in the Eugene Springfield area. It's true. So, you know, he's going to throw in some digs at Eugene for funsies, I guess. Sure. Why not? Um, s- somebody puts a pie on a windowsill, which has hobo lifting powers and Bender is intrigued. It turns out that it's Helmut Spargle, I think is how you say his name. Spargle, like with a G? Spargle, yes, I believe. Uh, he used to be the greatest chef ever. His restaurant was so hard to get into, the only way to get reservations was to create a parallel universe where you already had reservations. That's really difficult. It's true. I don't, like, I love food, but I don't know if anywhere is that good. Yeah, I mean, think about all the scientific breakthroughs you have to get just to get reservations to this place. Yeah, I'll pass. Um, but anyways. I mean, you, can, you can get to any Ruth's Chris anywhere and f- have a, you know, 20-minute wait. He's baking this pie and and everybody's all the hobos are eating it. And Bender's like, so what's the deal? Like, if you're so great, why are you here? And we get his backstory, which is basically he hosted a show down home cooking with Helmut Spargle Mm -hmm. and the extreme soda company that sponsored it. Uh, felt he wasn't edgy enough. So they brought in a younger chef, which turned out to be Elzar. Bam. And Elzar had been seduced by the dark side of cooking. Cilantro, mango salsa, raspberry vinaigrette. And let you knew this was coming. Oh, yeah. I, I knew that. As soon as he said that, I knew this was coming. <laughs> I, I, uh, I am one of the, I believe it's anywhere between 4 to 14% of people that have a genetic like uh, hatred of cilantro because it tastes like soap. And it is 100% the dark side of cooking. And anyone that uses it and doesn't remove it when requested is awful. Man, I made a whole pot of soup last night. I used a whole big thing of cilantro. Just chopped it up right in there. So good. And that is something for you to consume. And I did. It was very good. Also, mango salsa is pretty good. I'm a fan. Yeah, I can't. Um, I'm not mad about that. I literally only care about cilantro in that list. I mean, all those things sound pretty good. I'd probably like Elzar's food. I'm going to be honest. I uh, it, I mean, if, if he ditches the cilantro, then I can be down. But past that, no. No, absolutely not. Never, ever. Better. I, on a daily basis, is it is <laughs> it, I have to deal with like, does this have cilantro? Yes. Well, can you take it out? Not really. It's already prepared. Well, I guess I'm going to go find something else to eat because I'm it, it. It ruins it. It just ruins it. Everything tastes like soap and it just ruins everything. Bender points out that his story is pretty similar but more interesting because it involves robots that is fair it is about spargle not about your cilantro thing because he can't taste as spargle points out god i'd love that 
Just for cilantro. I, I, I'm 100%. If I could like go through the genetic modifications to just allow me to eat cilantro without throwing up, I would do it because everyone in here in this place uses cilantro and they just don't mm-hmm. think about because it. Because they've all been seduced by the dark side. And it, it is disgusting. And I, I just don't, I don't want it. I don't. I didn't choose this life. You need to get some light side cooking from like Yoda or Obi-Wan or something like. I mean, to be fair, most people will remove it if they can. But I didn't choose this. This was genetic. It was forced upon me by my forefathers. Bender points out he has no, uh, he, he doesn't have any taste. He has eight other senses and he'd give them all up, including smidgen, just to get the sense of taste. Helmet says that be- it. Not having the sense of taste is helpful because it, he won't be distracted by taste from touching the the zen of pure flavor. And so Spargle agrees to take Bender on as a student. And then there's a great uh, 1980s style, like karate kid sort of montage about uh, learning how to cook to uh, that song, You're the Best. Um, pre- pretty standard montage. Because nothing's ever going to bring you down. And we've spent so long talking about other things on this episode, but... We have to at least discuss the things that are happening here. But I love this because it has nothing to do with Futurama, and I apologize for getting off task again, but back when I played World of Warcraft... Okay, and we're here. We're in Ben's World of Warcraft area. Anytime we would be fighting a new raid boss and having difficulty... I know where this is going, and I love it. Anytime we'd be having difficulty beating a new raid boss, I would put on a playlist that was two songs long. Okay. Starting with Eye of the Tiger (laughs) and ending with You're the Best Around (laughs) on infinite repeat. Your guildmates must have loved you. I mean, only I could hear it. Okay. So it was fine, but I made sure to tell them as often as I could. Sure. Hey, just switched over to hear the best around you guys. <laughs> but but here's a here's an odd okay. life hack because there's a lot of a lot of well wow hack. A lot of raid bosses have a lot of sort of like you can get a, a sense of timing from it. Okay. So like if you're doing the, about the same amount of damage every time, sure. Or if there's any sort of timed phases or anything, you start to get into that rhythm of like okay, well like Eye of the Tiger just finished. Usually we're going into this phase right when, then, but we're not, so we're a little bit behind, and like you get into a groove. Sure. So there you go. Like musical cues get you into that rhythm. Sure. The downside is that when you have something like uh, 70, 80, 90 losses to Garrosh Hellscream, um, you go a little insane from listening to the two songs over and over and over again for two hours at a time. So, you know, consider that. I mean, yes, but you also did that to yourself. I did this to me. So, let's get back on topic now that I've derailed <laughs> us again. Uh, so, in the cooking training montage, uh, Bender ends up peeling hover potatoes with a light peeler, light saber peeler. Um, pu- it's a little bit like that training scene in sure. uh, A New Hope. Uh, Yes, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to figure out how to describe the second thing because it's the most insane thing in the entire episode. The peppercorns. He pours peppercorns in his mouth and then twists his head, and out of his butt comes 
freshly Gran- ground pepper. And mm-hmm. it, and it looks like he's straining to make this happen. Oh yeah, no, it's disturbing. It's it's insane and incredible. And then I believe he gives a thumbs up to Sparkle. Mm-hmm. Literally, <laughs> literally all I have for this montage in my notes is says, You're the best 80s style cooking montage. The peppercorns are disturbing. That's all I wrote down because that's all I needed to discuss. That's and true. The, also the wow thing, but that's <laughs> fine. Well done. I didn't need that in my notes. No, I lived you, that. You you had it up in the steel trap that is your mind, my friend. Um, and then the third part is that he kind of becomes in, uh, in, in an in-person infomercial as he cuts a cucumber with a knife going all the way up his arm and then hands over the knife to Helmet and he slices delicately a tomato. Mm-hmm. And that is the montage. And then we go back to the B-plot. Excellent. Huzzah! So, the professor finds the broken uh, bottle and the, the broken ship that was once within. As he's talking to someone on the phone named ab- Ricardo. About the bottle. Of course. Let me and, look. And then so he freaks out and he gathers everyone in the accusing parlor. Someone is a miniature shipwrecker. The professor says that he has reason to believe that it's none other than Philip J. Fry. <gasps> and he points over and Fry is wearing the I Hate Bottles shirt. It just reacts like, what? It turns out that... Uh, the professor had found the his confession note that says Fry confesses, and it's written on stationery from the desk of Doctor John Zoidberg, M.D. <laughs> it's it's not even good. And Fry is even like, well, I mean, I don't remember doing that, but I don't have the wherewithal to defend myself. The professor has no choice but to charge him the cost of materials, ten dollars. And like a sad violin song plays as Zoidberg's guilt starts eating at him over this $10. It's the telltale bottle. (laughs) It really is. It's wonderful. Every single time. This Oh, it's so good. Back to the A plot. Back to the A plot. Uh, (laughs) Bender makes his first meal uh, for Spargle and spargle tastes it to make sure that it is acceptable to end his training and become a chef he has to serve an edible meal and once he does that helmet will reveal the age-old secret of perfect flavor so spargle takes uh, a bite and he's like i find this acceptable everybody cheers and then helmet says that my stomach is about to explode with his dying breaths, he says he wants Bender to beat Elzar, and he gives Bender the essence of pure flavor, which is this little glass vial yeah. with a little like blue liquid in it. Uh, then Helmet stomach explodes, which is horrifyingly de- like, like animated. It, yeah, the stomach literally expands out like a cartoon character ate a literal bomb. Yeah, uh, um, and then he dies with his face diving directly into Bender's meal. Bender goes to challenge Elzar, uh, who says that he's going to avenge his death. Elzar kind of implies like, well, it sounds like you killed him. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's because Bender's like, he was eating some food I made, and by a crazy coincidence, his stomach exploded. (laughs) Uh, Elzar's like, we'll settle this at... The ancient televised battleground, Kitchen Coliseum, to claim the title of Iron Cook. So then it, it cuts to pretty much just an Iron Chef rip off um, oh 100 percent. oh it is a hundred percent i've never off. actually seen iron chef oh it's so, so good you must um you must but um yeah the crew head to kitchen coliseum which is the home of the kitchen university wildcats it is a hundred percent a parody of iron chef yeah there's like 
Chairman Koji and he's got like this sword and he's got like a tiger and it's a whole dramatic thing. And, and he moves his arms and doves fly out. And it's, it's tremendous. If you are a fan of Iron Chef, uh, I believe you probably already have seen this episode, but look at watch this episode again. It's very good. And the one of the things I love that I never really noticed before is that up in the stands, everybody's cheering. Fry has a little uh, banner, like a pennant. That yeah. says go carrots and Amy's holding up a sign that just says fish sauce. <laughs> Why? Not even like go fish sauce or like yeah, yay just, fi- just fish sauce. Just show it exists. Um the celebrity judges for this episode of Iron Cook are Ethan Bubblegum Tate. I'm so glad he makes a return. Uh, I love him. He's very good. And he's very good in this episode as well. Uh Morbo and uh Martha Stewart Head. Mm-hmm. Uh, who ended a thousand years war with her apple dandies? I mean, those would be. I want to try some of those. Those are those are be some damn fine apple dandies. Hmm. Man, uh, we talk a lot about food on this podcast. Most and of the time, it's, it's always we're right hungry. before dinner, and I'm like, dang, I could sure go for some food right about now. Well, speaking of wanting to eat some food, the secret ingredient, as revealed by Chairman Koji, is Soylent Green. Ah, uh, yes. The classic ingredient, Soylent Green, which is literally just like green blocks. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's all very good. Uh-huh. Um, so a, a couple of things that happen as the battle wages on. Uh, Elzar insults the correspondent, basically inferring that she's a prostitute. And that her mother was a prostitute. Oh, I apologize. That is that is fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bender rolls out dough with his ass, <laughs> which Bubblegum Tate's like, I've never seen such confident, powerful strokes of the ass. And Martha Stewart's like, you haven't seen mine. <laughs> and it's this weird flirting and it's tremendous. I love that exchange so much. Um, the only, the only thing that would make it better is if it was really Martha Stewart doing the voice and it's sadly it's not. not. Um, but that, that would just make my life. I think, I think. I think the Martha Stewart of of today at the day of recording where she goes on a cooking show with Snoop Dogg yeah, yeah, would yeah, probably yeah. be up for this. 100%. But the, the Martha Stewart of 2003 probably would not. I mean, obviously didn't. So. Fair. I, ass- I assume they asked her. They're usually oh, pretty yeah. good about getting like r- the real... Like they got Bob Euchre on in that episode. Yeah. Um, and Hank Aaron in that same episode. Yeah, that's true. And like they're yeah, not... Hank- they got Hank Aaron to play his like like <laughs> what Hank Aaron like the forty second or whatever yeah uh, the twenty fourth I like, think down but the yeah, line who's to, really bad at learns ball really so, bad. like I have to assume they asked oh man can you imagine if it, oh man if she delivered that line it would be so great I I would maybe be in love with Martha Stewart right now if that was a a thing you're already not she has a cooking show with Snoop Dogg let's not barrel over that statement i mean it's pretty great that's more than really great but it's not martha stewart delivering a line about her, her powerful confident strokes of the ass that's that is also fair um and one more uh, noteworthy thing happening in the battle is that elzar brings out a working pastry pastry replica of downtown venice which has a shrimp piloting a uh, boat uh-huh and like singing and everything um meanwhile <laughs> back in the b plot there is uh somebody up in the stands selling commemorative turkey basters for ten dollars 
And Fry's like, yo, hook me up. My turkey's dry and I've tried everything. He opens his wallet and realizes it's empty and he's like, oh, like, never mind. And Zoidberg gets that sad music again where like that guilt is just eating away <laughs> at him. Uh, the unbearable guilt. Um, uh, as as the, the battle comes to a close with about 15 seconds left, Elzar hits his food with the spice weasel. Bam! Um, Bender uses a hammer on his food and plates it and just takes a moment to make sure it's plated correctly. In kind of a lump. Yeah, Bender's food is ugly. Uh, but then he pulls out the crystal vial and and puts some drops of, of the perfect flavor on each one. After dedicating to Helmut in that, that ditch that he left him in. We get to the tasting. And uh, Elzar has literally garnished the salad with $100 bills. <laughs> uh, which, just saying Elzar, like... Hook me up with that salad. Tweet at Back to Futurama Tweet with back some salad. Some salad. Salad. Salad greens. Um, everybody, Elzar did some good dishes. Everybody seems like yeah. He, everybody likes them. Everybody's I mean, impressed. Mm-hmm. And then it's time for Bender to present his food. It's less than appetizing. Well, it looks ugly, but as as Bubblegum Tate points out, it looks kind of funky. But it tastes kind of funky. Uh, Morbo has kind of a breakdown <laughs> uh, about how these this meal has shown him that even ugly things can be sweet on the inside. And Bubblegum Tate goes over and gives him a big hug, and I just love that. I it's want such that a good to moment. be. I want that gif as my reaction to everything from here for the rest of 2017, because we all need that hug from Bubblegum Tate. That is this year's official gif. Because we need it. As they go to final grades, judgment, whatever, um, it, it is determined that the winner will become the new iron cook, while the, the loser will scrub all the dirty dishes. So after uh, some drama, you know, build up the tension like oh, yeah. they do on these reality shows. Different different wide cuts. and Bender wins. Uh, Bender indicates that he he believes he has succeeded in his goal of humiliating Elzar in a large stadium. It cuts to Elzar scrubbing the dishes and say, boy, howdy. And then Bender also gives a very heartfelt (coughs) speech about how cooking isn't about these giant competitions and coliseums. It's about being in in a small kitchen with her friends. That's why he can't accept the title of Iron Cook and instead accepts only the lesser title of Zinc Saucier which he just made up. Also, it comes with double prize money. (laughs) It's such a great... And just sort of the the expression he gives when he's like, am I getting away with this? Am I getting away with this? (laughs) Um, And and with that, the final like uh, Iron Cook graphic comes up. But as that's happening, Zoiberg rushes the stage, causing the graphic to fly (laughs) off of the screen and confesses that he, it was he that broke the professor's bottle ship. Which everyone in the audience of this large stadium gasps. Uh huh. Like it's incredible. <laughs> so many people are invested in this B plot. It's wonderful. Can you imagine though, if you're at like a reality TV show taping, like a, a game show or something, and somebody runs up on stage and is like, "I was the one who broke my friend's thing," and gets all dramatic about it? You'd be <laughs> like, "What the f is going on here?" I would one hundred percent gasp. I you know no that's true I know you and you would do it yeah uh, uh, he also uh, confesses that he framed his dearest friend Fry since he can't repay him the ten (laughs) dollars he he decides the only thing to do is to kill himself 
he grabs uh, Chairman Koji's sword, but when he tries to cut himself with it, it cr- crumples on his shell. Uh, Chairman Koji is very mad because that sword costs $5,000. And then uh, Zoidberg panics and is like, Fry did it. And then he goes whoop, 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 away off he the He scuttles stage. off screen and it's so good. <laughs> so, And that is the, the, the final conclusion of the B-plot. And so that's when it cuts back to Planet Express because apparently everybody was just watching this tape of yeah. the thing. And Bender even says, and that's how I won. And Lila's like, we were there and we just finished watching it back on TV. And so they're talking about the vial that Spargle gave him. And uh, he, the professor's like, let me see that. And he puts it into a spectral analyzer and... Uh, it comes back that it was just water, ordinary water. Uh, Fry says that it turns out that the gift that Helmut gave him was confidence to cook his very best. And then the professor's like, yep, ordinary water laced with nothing more than a few spoonfuls of LSD. Uh, Bender kind of takes it back and says, by my standards, I won fair and square. Now, who wants lunch cooked with plenty of confidence? Ooh, ooh, me, me. And then it plays uh, some, like, psychedelic rock. Um, the name of the song I am totally blanking on. Uh, Sunshine of... of uh, Sunshine of Your Love. Su- su- that's yes. the one. Sunshine of Your Love. And that means it's time for Judgment. Whoa. Oh, I'm sorry. Wait, I got... I, got, I was still in Iron Cook. Grades. <laughs> this episode is interesting because, of, as we have pointed out, Several times. The B plot is way funnier than the <laughs> A plot. Um, I find the A plot, like I was joking about it before, but I, you know, I find the A plot pretty decent. It's a Bender-centric episode. There's some good lines. Um, I'm overall not super invested in the B plot. Uh, you mean in the A plot? Yes, my bad. I'm not super... We're, in- <laughs> we're yes. so invested in the B plot, we've accidentally made it the A plot. So yeah, the B... B plot is the new A plot. <laughs> um, okay. I'm not super interested in the Bender side of this mm-hmm. episode. It's okay. It's not great. The whole Zoidberg bottle breaking thing. I hate bottle t-shirts. Um, uh, Zoidberg just freaking out, spraying like glue everywhere. Like every every moment of the B plot is so good. Um, so I'm going to give it a B plus, mostly resting on that B plot. I mean, I, I'm having a hard time disagreeing any there. Uh, if I could split up the two plots and give them grades that way, y- you know, that be, uh, the, the Zoeberg plot would be an A plus, like just based on. Oh the yeah. 100%. Great from start to finish. And, and I, and I agree with you on the Bender plot too. It is, it's functional. It, it's mostly funny. There's really no stakes to it. It's kind of goofy. I, I, and maybe this is just because I, I like cooking shows a whole lot. So I really like, especially the the old Japanese Iron Cook or Iron Chef. Goodness gracious, it's so close. Uh, Iron Chef, the new Iron Chef, you know, Alton Brown, Food Network, that kind of stuff. I really love that. I always have. Um, So I, I think I give it a little bit more leeway, but it is still just functional. It kind of moves the plot forward. It's funny but it, the the shining light of this episode is the b plot and i think we both agree on that um you you said you gave it a b plus yep yeah i think that's probably the right place for this 
uh, B plus is 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 where I'd put it as well. But I mean, gold star on that Zoiber plot. <laughs> it's so good. If you cut out everything else of this episode, it's an A plus, hundred <laughs> percent. It's also six minutes long, but you know. I mean, I I would watch that. It'd be six of the best minutes of oh, my man, life. It's so good. We we want to know what you think about this. Are we? way off base with this b plot being the better plot here or, or do you really just love the zoidberg plot we want to know so if you would like to weigh in if you want to uh you know like we had people telling us um steve castle's name uh which i i literally never knew about i never did either it's new to me you'd think we would know things about futurama but really hey, we don't it it's always important to learn um, also, you learned about raisin paste in A1 today. I sure did. You sure did. If you want to talk to us about A1, I, it doesn't matter. Just drop <laughs> us a line. Send us anything you want. There are plenty of ways to do that. You can email us at backtothefuturamapodcast at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at backtofuturama. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash backtofuturama. And we are on Apple Podcasts, so... Rate us, review us, subscribe, and send to your friends, and we can all enjoy this Zoidberg B plot together as a as a family. Or you know, A one stakes. Up. We're not sponsored by A one in any way, shape, really, or form, really not. Out. Uh, but you can also listen to Raise the Stakes <laughs> <laughs> and A one more. I think now's as good a time as any to call it a night. Oh yes. <laughs> Uh, to be fair an hour ago was probably the right time an hour ago was the absolute right time but (laughs) we podcasted it we can't unpodcast it so (laughs) until next time i'm ben and i'm mike goodbye Goodbye from from the world world of tomorrow. tomorrow